welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the OKC Thunders regular season schedule. We're going to go in a little four-part series here, so I'll be talking games 1 through 20, all the games you can find on that one, and the top moments in those games. I'm going to be discussing Chet Holmgren and his injury at the crossover pro-am, if it's significant, really what happened that whole day at the Pro-Am circuit in Seattle, and I also want to talk about the OKC Bluecast of Jalen Horde and Rob Edwards, and really what they have been up to in the last couple of weeks. Gonna start things out, guys, saying I'm in a new setup right now, so if anything sounds a little bit different, maybe echoey or whatnot, make sure to let me know on Twitter. I'll be able to address that, probably in a jiffy, see if I can uh, get a better situation here, but that's what we're rolling with. As of right now, it should maybe take a couple pods to get used to it, but I think we should be good to go for this season of coverage, and I'm going to be ready for the OKC Thunder's 82 games of coverage. The OKC Thunder, as well as the entire league, announced their regular season schedule last week, and it's kind of hard to digest all of them at once. Like The marquee games were out there, and everyone kind of knew like when they were playing the national TV, uh, some of the maybe more big games you could find in the Paycom Center, but I really wanted to break down just every individual game and what I think are going to be sort of the highlights to watch and where to mark your calendar throughout all of this. So just kind of understanding where OKC has come from last two seasons. They actually started the year out pretty well, hovering around 500. You know, it didn't look like they were going to finish bottom three if you just would have cut things off, no context after 20 games. But Last two seasons, they have kind of slowed it down in the back end of the year. All-star break called for some injuries. Guys like SGA and Lou Dort were sunset. Al Horford two years ago, he didn't play really past the trade deadline. So it led to a lot of new opportunities for players. And the win column didn't really go up that much. So they ended fourth in lottery odds last two seasons. Uh, Two years ago, they tied for fourth best and they won the coin flip. So a little bit worse odds than last year. End up with Josh Giddy at six and Chet Holmgren at two, so they have a very exciting roster going into this year, and I think it's going to make it interesting, because now they actually have that straight up five to where I think, you know, they could make some challenges against back-to-basket bigs. Last season, it was guys like Rudy Gobert going up against Isaiah Roby. You know, that's a matchup where OKC simply can't win, and even if they want to, you know, shift in a guy like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I don't think it really makes much of a difference, you know? And that's nothing against Roby or JRE. I think they're both very solid moving up to the five, considering they didn't have that experience in college. But when you're facing someone who is just dominant in terms of footwork, 7-1, and who knows how much they can bench and squat, I mean, it's going to be a very tough time down inside. Now with Chet, yeah, are there some uh, weight concerns people are throwing about? Of course. But... He's one of the best shot blockers we saw last year in college. I think he was the best shot blocker. And he showed in preseason, you know, going up against guys like Taco Fall and Kofi Coburn, who is a very respectable big man. Like, that stuff's not going to work. And even a guy like Kenny Lofton, who had his number maybe in the first two possessions, he didn't win that overall battle. Chet Holmgren won that war pretty pretty handily that night. So it's going to be a really cool lineup uh, if you guys didn't see my last five podcasts, I broke down position by position where I think the minute cuts will go. And the starting unit I chalked up was SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, 
and Chet Holmgren, with Bays getting 20 minutes and JRE getting 24 off of the bench. Going into the first 10, though, OKC start things off. It's a regular season opener. They're going to play away against the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is going to be one where Chet is returning back to Minnesota. That is where he is from. And it's going to be a really cool battle to see Chet go against guys like Rudy Gobert. Uh, But also, you're looking at a setup where the backcourts are going to be in a pretty good battle as well. SGA and Josh Giddey versus the likes of D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards. I'd sign up for that one right there. And they do have Carl Anthony Towns too. (laughs) Like, you can't forget about them. You know, they kind of went all in this season getting Rudy. Gave away all those first round picks to do so. So this is going to be really a front court battle. I think that it would pan out that way, but you never know. I mean, there are just so many firecrackers on this Timberwolves roster. And because OKC is so young, it's going to be a really good challenge for them. I think, you know, these are both teams that are relatively young, but Minnesota, they have had years upon years to develop this front court unit. Now they get Gobert in and they're looking to really uh, turn some heads this year. So I'm a big fan of that one. Then they play their second game away as well against the Denver Nuggets. Still a good matchup for Chet Holmgren facing up against Nikola Jokic. And, you know, you're going to see everything else unfold if Murray's good to go, Michael Porter Jr. Just another playoff battle, really, for OKC. And that's going to lead them up to their home opener against the Minnesota Timberwolves on October 23rd. That's a 7 p.m. Central Standard Time tip-off. That's really where all the games are if you're playing in the Paycom this year. And it's just kind of re-racking here. You know, first time seeing all these guys in uniform at home at the Paycom Center. This is going to be an exciting little duel, you know, between Minnesota and OKC. One thing I want to look at, Jalen Williams. I think he could do pretty good damage against this Minnesota squad. And playing off the ball, I think that's where you could find a lot of points against this Timberwolves team. Then they play a baseball set at home versus the Los Angeles Clippers. So if you guys are looking to watch Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, looking to watch one of the best of the best teams in the league, that is when you want to look at things back end of October because you're going to get some good action there if everybody is healthy, of course. LA, you got to throw some thanks towards them. I mean, they were in perfect position to be the seventh seed in the Western Conference, maybe make some damage without their two top guys. And quite frankly, you know, that is a, a solid team even without, even without their top two. You know, that's just how well they are structured, but they didn't have them. You see two back-to-back upsets that leave them on the outside looking in. OKC gets Jalen Williams at the, at the end of that transaction, and Jalen Williams was going to be a lottery pick regardless. It looked like Atlanta wanted either Jalen Williams or Usman Jang. I think the interesting thing is, let's say OKC had picked like 16. Do they go out of their way to trade up for two lottery picks? Or would they have still just gotten the Knicks pick? And would they have taken Jang or would they have taken Williams? That's a really good thing to think about. I think J-Dub has that really high floor, really high ceiling. Usman Jang most definitely has that though. Going down to Texas to close out October, they face the Dallas Mavericks. And this is another game where I think there's just a lot of stars early on the Thunder have to go through. That's going to be a really good test. Luka Doncic in the mix for them. Jalen Brunson, now he's in New York, so you don't have to worry about him. But Spencer Dinwiddie looked good in the playoffs. So, you know, that one could go honestly either way. I wish Moses Brown was still on the Mavs. That would make for a really fun uh, type of game. But he's not. November 1st, though, that is the big one. 
where you are going to be looking at this and intently looking at it. This is when OKC gets to return to national television. 790 days. That's how long it's been since OKC has been on national TV in this season. They have been on ESPN the last two summer leagues. You guys can throw that out there. I'm going to give that like half credit maybe. I'm talking full credit points. Last time they were in there, I believe was game six against the Houston Rockets in the first round in 2020. So it has been a very, very lengthy process for them to get back up to here. And actually, the OKC Blue were the last team to make the ESPN coverage. They made ESPN 2 back in December during the Winter Showcase Cup. So they get to overtake their affiliates, and they get to play on TNT inside the NBA. We'll be on for this one, and it's going to be a very fun game, regardless of you're in the stands or you're at home, because you get to see a duel between the number one pick in Paulo Bancaro and the number two pick and Chet Holmgren. Orlando versus the Thunder. Both are in a similar spot right now where, you know, they are rebuilding. I'd say that Orlando probably has a little bit more refined players, people that have, you know, three, four, five years under their belt, whereas OKC, they have SGA, but then I think it starts to kind of dwindle. A lot more rookie contracts on board for them. Still should make for some very good coverage, and that is why they handpicked this one. This is going to be a 6.30 tip-off game November 1st. They're going to make sure that, you know, they are are pretty precise about this. Whenever you see those national TV games, see a lot of half hours. That's what this one is going to be right here. And I'm sure we're going to hear the bickering between the guys up there, Shaq, Kenny, Charles, complaining about why we're seeing these teams. This could be a pretty good game. And uh, I think they're going to, you know, turn some heads probably to where maybe – if there's some fallout on the TV schedule, OKC might get another shot on TNT. I don't know about that, but you know you can always hope, if you will. They go back to play Denver again. So you see a lot of teams they're just going back and forth with. They play Milwaukee in Milwaukee. So that's going to be a very fun matchup to see Giannis. And then November 7th, they go to Detroit to play Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. This is really a must-watch game, in my opinion. I think the, the duo of Cade and Jaden Ivey really warrant a watch here. And the just explosive athletic ability of Ivey is going to be nasty. Just a backcourt battle you're going to find between these two teams. And then you get to put the icing on the cake. Chet Holmgren versus a beefy, beefy center in Isaiah Stewart. This will be perfect. And in, in the long term, this is going to be a battleground game just based on lottery positioning if it were to go down the stretch to that point. Going into the next patch of games for OKC, going into November, they play Milwaukee at home again. This is November 9th, and this is where if you're looking to watch Giannis, you got to go to this game because this is the first set where OKC finishes playing a game, uh, a team entirely, not even a month into the year. You don't get to see them go ahead and tackle a former champion in the Milwaukee Bucks. So obviously it, it does stink a little bit, but... You know, if you do want to watch him, you get to watch him early. Quick November 9 game, and they get to play the Raptors right after that on November 11th. Big game, in my opinion, on November 13th. They play the New York Knicks at MSG at 11 in the morning. Last year, I think there's a real debate to be had that OKC's greatest game came in MSG. 
They played the New York Knicks in an overtime game. I think it was 129 to 125. Trey Mann drops 30 points. Josh Giddy picks up a triple-double, and they end up winning that basketball game. That was super exciting. This could have been the one where Trey Mann was just hitting bucket after bucket in succession. Uh, I think that might have been the Celtics one as well, but... I mean, everyone was just on fire, and you really got to see the one-two tandem between Trey Mann and Josh Giddy. So you might be able to see that again when they take them on. This kind of starts off an East Coast trip. They play the Celtics the next day. Wizards on the 16th. Grizzlies on the 18th. Really like that Grizzlies game. In terms of the Celtics and Wizards, I think the Celtics, that's going to be a good test, of course. Wizards... We'll see how that one all pans out. If Chris Dobbs is eligible, that would be a cool game for Chet Holmgren, uh, if you will. They play the New York Knicks on November 21st, so you get to kind of get some extra action in on them, sunset the series, and then they play the Denver Nuggets at home on the 23rd to get more action between Jokic and Chet Holmgren. Chicago comes to town later. Billy Donovan returns, and then they play the Houston Rockets in a back-to-back closer in Houston, so they have to take a flight right after the game to catch another 7 p.m. contest. The big deal here, you put a bow on that big three. They played Paulo in the first 10 games. Second set, you get to see Jabari Smith Jr. They did play each other in Summer League, OKC in Houston. Jabari did have the number. They won 90-88 to 88 in that game, but Jabari didn't shoot particularly well from the field. I don't think Chet necessarily did either, but... You know, there was something left on the table for both guys. So they get a chance to prove themselves on November 26th. You also get to see the matchup between SGA and Jalen Green. And you can go even further into that. Kevin Porter Jr., he's always someone who can go up for points for OKC. Josh Giddy's there. J-Dub is there. Like, you have plenty of options. And Tari Eason and Sangoon, cannot forget about them. You know, the Thunder and the Rockets, I think if you're going to point towards rivals that's probably the rivalry set I would pick out just because they continue to be on the same trajectory year after year right when OKC decides to pull the plug Houston does the exact same thing OKC picks well Houston picks well as well I mean they got Sengun and Jalen Green last year that is an insane haul and for this year to pick up Jabari Smith and you also go out and get Tari Eason in the middle of the first talk about value man so They have some explosive athletes, and I think that's honestly what uh, is going to make the game so fun for a team like the Thunder. If you have a game where it's high pace, that's the kind of basketball I want to see OKC play. And if you're going to experiment it, playing someone like the Rockets is where you get to, I think, uncork that and see how that all pans out. So that's kind of my number one game from 11 through 20. Obviously, that East Coast trip. And then you get to see Milwaukee on its way out to conclude things. Pretty interesting, though. You get to see national television, and you get to see some of the guys at the very top of the board in Paulo, Jabari Smith, and Jaden Ivey. Want to talk about the highest pick for the Thunder in Chet Holmgren. Want to discuss his time at the crossover, and then obviously round it out with the OKC Blue Talks. So Chet Holmgren suffered an injury at the crossover pro-am on Sunday, and it came very early into the contest. One-on-one fast-break situation against LeBron James, and just one-on-one situation. It looked like it was due to condensation on the floor, Um, and, you know, I'm not a medical expert. There's no official ruling on it, and quite frankly, 
you know, I don't expect there to be a report in the, you know, first probably couple of days. I think you want to be very uh, meticulous about how you go about this and kind of assessing this injury. But, you know, he goes hobbling after contesting a layup with LeBron James. Looks like he's holding his ankle. Some are saying that he might have stepped on LeBron's foot. Um, looks maybe like a sprain potentially, but we'll have to kind of get a read on that right afterwards. Suffers the injury, heads back to the locker room, and it's very, very unfortunate. I think that there are going to be people talking about the frame as to why this happened. There's a collective reason for how this stuff came to be, and you got to talk about the conditions of this basketball game. This was a game that I think in terms of you know setting up, being one of those PR guys, must have been a nightmare. You have tons of and tons of big names joining in on the action. Even when just Paulo and Chet decided they were going to be there. I mean, you had a packed house. This was big time. You throw into the mix, not just those guys, but players such as Isaiah Thomas, Aaron Gordon, LeBron James himself. It's going to be hard to kind of put some crowd control action on a court that just can't really hold too many people. Like the venue for this game not particularly where it needs to be at, you know? So you have people camping out, you know, 18 hours to get into this door. And we're talking hundreds of people camping out to get in here. 5 a.m., rise and shine, get to the arena and just wait. And it seems like, you know, a lot of those people didn't get into the arena. (laughs) Um, There were people on Twitter discussing how there was like a back door, people just getting let in. That's very unfortunate. Um... You know, I don't think that's particularly the way to go about it. I know Jamal said a lot of what he wanted to do when campers were out there. He said, you know, I appreciate your guys' support. We're going to let some kids in there. I don't know entirely um, if it was, you know, solely kids getting in there or what it was, but it seemed like it was a lot of, you know, kind of havoc going on in the moments leading up to tip off. And the reason I kind of preface that part was they actually couldn't even open the doors because they felt like it was just going to be a stampede into the arena. They needed to open up the doors to kind of air things out. Court was slippery, uh, but they just could not open it because of the overflow for this game. So tip-off begins. Two minutes in, Chet Holmgren gets injured. You have Marjan Bochamp slipping on the floor. They had to call this thing in the second quarter. So it was kind of a flop in terms of you know, how this was supposed to play out. Player safety always has to go first. You know, it's obviously a bummer for those that camped out. Whether you got in, didn't get in. Not a lot of action in this game, but, you know, you kind of just roll with it. Maybe you get another replay here. It's got to be very tough to organize stuff with someone such as LeBron James at those games, though. You know, when you're talking guys such as Chet and Paulo, I I still think it's probably going to be very difficult. But, you know, when you have one of the greatest, arguably the greatest in Seattle. Yeah, it's going to be a a packed house to say the least. I don't have that medical update though. I think for Thunder fans, is it time to go for a sigh of relief? It, It didn't look like terrible, terrible, but as I said, I don't know medical stuff on, on how that injury played out. So We'll have to get some updates on that. I'm sure whenever it drops on Twitter, I'll be back at you guys giving you all some updates. Want to give an update on Jalen Horde, guys? This is, you know, one of the 
marquee OKC Blue Free Agents I've been covering the last two months and really the last two years since he's been with the Oklahoma City Blue. Initially, he was on a two-year contract or two-way contract with the Portland Trailblazers after going undrafted, played with them, moved between the Trailblazers and Texas Legends, didn't get re-signed on a two-way deal, so OKC scooped him up on an Exhibit 10, also got Moses Brown who was on a two-way deal with the Blazers on a two-way, and he panned out pretty well. And he was just up and going for the OKC Blue. In the 15 games he played in the bubble, really good spark plug. You didn't see much three-point play from him, and that was kind of his profile. Very athletic six-foot-eight forward who could rebound well, block some shots, penetrate, but couldn't space. So... He really just became a backdoor cutter, and he really thrived at it. The thing that really caught my attention his first year with the Blue was just how well he did attracting contact. I mean, he was leading the team in free throw rate. Uh, you got to throw Moses Brown above him and Omer Yurt 7 probably, but outside of the guys just playing bully ball, I mean, he was the real deal. So he got his two-way call up, and he looked pretty good. Um, he had think a game where he neared about 20 points his first season in the Thunder uniform and he was doing well from three I think he had more threes in one game than he almost had the entire 15 games he played for the blue that year so he put himself in a really good position to get a two-way contract I thought that maybe he would get one or he'd play in the training camp for the Thunder last year didn't make that cut but he still played with the blue in all He ended up finishing with 54 career games and 28 starts for the Blue. Averaged 10 points and 5.8 rebounds in just about 24 minutes per game. Super duper efficient attacking the basket and just very good energy type of guy. He had to play small ball five this year because they lost out on Olivier Saar and DJ Wilson. And it really changed the dynamics, but sometimes it was actually a really sweet adjustment. You had him setting high ball screens for Jemias Ramsey. Rob Edwards, Xavier Simpson, led to really good pick and roll play, but he really can't pop out to the mid-range. That's the the big thing that I think really pushed him away from more regular appearances at the NBA level. He closed the year, though, playing like an NBA stud. I mean, he had two 10-day call-ups with the Thunder. The first one came in December when the first wave came out, and he really didn't play too often, but... In his final 10-day deal, he was just popping off. Averaged 14.7 points and 12 rebounds with the Thunder this year. Seven games. Had 27 points and 24 rebounds against the Trailblazers. And had two 20-plus rebound efforts. That puts him up there. I think top five in OKC Thunder history in that category. So major props to him. I mean, he was just hustling, and I think hustling really sells. It sells for a team like the OKC Thunder, and it sells outside as well. I thought he was going to get an NBA market where he could get a two-way contract again. This would have been his last season eligible, uh, but looks like that did not come up. I thought a training camp deal could be there. I wouldn't be surprised if it was, but he decided he would jump back overseas after six years playing in the States. He's going to be going to Israel, and he is going to join Hopel vegan-friendly Tel Aviv. They are one of the powerhouses in the Israeli Basketball League and in Euro Cup. They have James Young on this roster and J.P. Takoto. If you guys remember the early, early stages of the Oklahoma City Blue, he was on that roster. 
Interesting thing with this contract, though, it's a partial guarantee, and it's basically one where he's fighting for a roster spot. There are restrictions in terms of imports in European leagues. I don't know exactly how it hits because Horde is not from the United States. He's from France, but it's still going to be a tight roster crunch for them as well. It's not going to be a full guarantee unless he makes that final season roster, though, so... I would imagine the partial guarantee is pretty solid because I would think an Exhibit 10 at bare minimum would have been available if he decided to stay in the U.S. and potentially a training camp offer would have come his way just based on how he was able to put a bow on the regular season. Jalen Horde was an absolute wonder to watch on this blue roster though. I think I'd consider him fairly underrated. Like, had he not had those seven games to close the year, people probably wouldn't have even known that he was departing from this franchise. But it's going to be felt because it's hard to find really good athletic players, uh, particularly at the four in the G League, I think. It's easy to find guards that can be high flyers. But to find that front court person who can play multiple positions is really unique. And the same thing I think could be said about Yorgos Kalexakis. Now, he's not going to be returning either. He's signed overseas with Pantheakos. So they're losing a lot of their defensive versatility. But, you know, maybe you're able to find some of that with Sasha Kalei Jones, who they got on that Exhibit 10 contract. That's one of the bigger guys off the board now for OKC. I think if you're talking their most marquee free agents still on the board, Jamias Ramsey is probably up there. Uh, right next to Rob Edwards. Those are the top two, and we are going to see how those guys kind of depart here, if they're going to depart. Ramsey's only 21, so he still has a lot of gas left in the tank. Rob Edwards is 25. Looks like he's been working out with plenty of different people all over the summer, and he's also garnered some big-time attention. He was in an Adidas promo last Friday. It was centered around just legendary pieces from Detroit. And he was also alongside G League Ignite guard Amari Hardy. They've been training for a while together now. Just some background on Edwards. He was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. And I actually had an interview with him. I, I spoke with him uh, when he was at the airport uh, right after his 10-day deal concluded with the OKC Thunder. He was in Santa Cruz catching a flight. He was able to talk with me for a little bit. Really appreciate it. Really uh, stand-up guy. But... He's kind of talking about his background where, you know, started out playing at multiple different high schools in um, the Detroit area, and he really didn't have many offers. As a senior, averaged 16 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, and 3 steals. Just an All-State honorable mention from that one, so very tough circuit to be playing in. And he had to get some of his teammates, actually, or some of his former teammates uh, who were at Cleveland State to kind of help him get an offer where it was able to kind of connect with the head coach, get him that D1 offer, and he got a lot of run. He was all horizon, all first or all freshman team, and as a sophomore, he was all horizon, just flat and simple. So he averaged 16.5 points as a sophomore. As an upperclassman, transferred to Arizona State, was the roommate with Lou Dort as a junior, and then as a senior. He averaged 11.6 points and 3.6 rebounds. It's very uncommon to find gyms in the G League draft just because the layout 
G League drafts, you don't get players in that pool unless they're like returning from overseas or no one wanted them for an Exhibit 10 deal. Exhibit 10 contracts basically give you the number one pick in the G League draft. It's like an undrafted signing where you can pick anyone you want. So a lot of my favorite undrafted guys are either on Exhibit 10s or um, two-way deals, like Darius Days out of LSU, Jamal Kane out of Oakland. He signed an Exhibit 10 like immediately with the Miami Heat. Gabe Brown, who I'm I'm a little upset he's not sticking around with the OKC Blue. He's going to be heading to Toronto with the Raptors 905. That was an Exhibit 10 contract. So the only people OKC really have secured are Jaden Shackelford and Sasha Clay Jones right now, on top of the two-way guys, of course. Rob Edwards, third-round pick in the G League draft. So basically, he was on the cusp of not even being picked up for the G League. Gets that last round pick though, and he just balled out to where he was their best three-point shooter two years ago. This season, still very consistent as a microwave threat, and he was getting offers. You know, he was getting some interest last December when 10-day deals were coming around, and he ended up getting the deal with the OKC Thunder for 10 days. Ended up dropping down a left-wing three. I was actually in attendance for that one to see his first career bucket. Very cool moment to watch for him. Also got a rebound in the mix there. And now, looks like he's going to be heading into free agency. But it was a very good 90-second clip on him. You know, kind of just discussing the roots. Had a little bit of B-roll on them playing some basketball. I mean, he is a very good hooper. I think when you're talking the NBA, a lot of qualified people for just not a lot of spots. Offensively, he is most definitely there in terms of being an NBA player. Being like a Frank Jackson almost. I think that's his best comparison just because he can be super-duper hot. Sometimes he might be on the colder side. But that should attract some interest. And I don't know if he's gunning for a training camp deal or if the move is to go overseas. Two years under his belt, though, at the G League level. And we've seen this. A lot of players, after their second year in the G League, they either decide to change affiliates or they go overseas. Xavier Simpson's a perfect example. He's going to be playing for the Lakeland Magic next year after two seasons with the OKC Blue. So maybe Rob Edwards will follow that path where he moves on. Maybe he'll go overseas, or maybe he decides to stick around for a third season. A couple different players in Tulsa 66ers and OKC Blue history have done that, and it has led to other overseas opportunities. So that's very much in the cards for him. That's going to do it for today's episode, though, guys. If you guys have any suggestions, any top games that you guys are intrigued about, make sure to let me know. You guys can hit me up on my Twitter, at Ben Kreider, or hit up the pod's Twitter, at ThunderstickPod. Anyways, though, guys, that will do it, and I will see you all next time.